All right. Happy Thursday, Friday Eve, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we are back with a special episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are continuing to explore the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff and getting your questions answered. This is going to be a, a pretty fun one, obviously a very popular one based on the registration numbers. So uh, I'm looking forward to see how many people show up. But uh, we're, we are talking with LinkedIn about LinkedIn learning on LinkedIn. I mean, this is this is an internet exploder right here, if, if nothing else. Um, so I'm joined by James Raybould and Achint Parekh. I think I got that right. Yes, close. All right, Tay, I'm getting the thumbs up on that one. And so we're gonna talk about LinkedIn Learning Hub, the big announcement that came out earlier this year that will be kind of arriving on the market later this year. And, and just going into it a little bit deeper on, on what does this mean, answering some of the questions that I know I get on a regular basis from people. Uh, I know this has created quite a lot of buzz. But before we do, because we can't just jump into the tech because that wouldn't be any fun. And what is a learning thing if you don't have some fun with it? So first things first, we're going to keep it simple, keep it light. We're not going to go too heavy yet. But Everybody, you can play along, whether you're on YouTube or LinkedIn, wherever you're joining from, comment in and share where you are in the world today. And we're going to do round robin on this one. So, Achint, you get to go first. We're going to go clockwise. Where are you? Well, no, you. I'm asking, where are you in the world? I, I didn't know. Um, uh, yeah, no, sorry. I was just, this is the biggest new thing my camera, my mic was muted. Uh, even into this pandemic, I still mess that up sometimes. Uh, I am in the Bay, I'm in, I'm in San Francisco. I'm in the city uh, that everyone's had started abandoning and suddenly now everything's open and you're waiting in lines everywhere. But yeah, I'm in San Francisco okay. and it's pretty nice. All right, all right. So you're in the Bay Area. James, that background, yeah. it fooled me for a minute. I thought you were somewhere different. And then as I started looking, I went, wait, that does look familiar, but the curtains are closed because of the painters. So you are, but some people might not have seen that first episode. So why don't you remind us where you are today? Shame on you if you didn't watch the first episode. Shame on you. That is true. Shame on you if you missed the first one. <laughs> it, it was so good. This one, no idea. The first one was so good. I'm just kidding. Uh, Portola Valley. So I am in Bay Area. So, you know, a chinch in the cool city where it's cloudy and smelly, and I, I'm on the in the peninsula where the sun always shines and it smells beautiful. So about 30 miles south of San Francisco. Okay, all right, but, but you're both in California, so like stones throw away from each other, relatively close. Not like me, way over here in the Midwest in Milwaukee. Joint, but you know what? The weather's actually pretty nice here today. 78, sunny. The kids are like right outside this window right here. Hopefully they don't start banging on the window. Um, but if they do, that's what that noise is. All right. So then let's go to the icebreaker. And then we're going to get into the discussion about, about LinkedIn Learning Hub. But to do that, LinkedIn's turning 18. James, you posted a picture of you at 18. For those of you who missed it, I'm bringing it back up. So I thought, you know what? We're going to take a trip down memory lane. We're going to take a trip down memory lane. And what better way to do that then bring up some pictures from memory lane as we talk about our icebreaker question. And you know what, James, when you posted that picture of you, I went, this guy had great hairstyles in his, in his teenage years. And I can relate to that. So, you know, Achint, I, I, you didn't send me one with bleach blonde hair, but if you ever went through that phase, it was, it was kind of a big deal for a while there. So, but the question actually has nothing to do with these pictures, but I thought it was a much better visual representation of the the icebreaker question that we're going to ask so everybody else can play along with this one as well but i'm going to reverse the order what kind of car did you drive we're not saying specifically at 18 but as a teenager what kind of car did you drive so james you were up first well uh as befitting my you know my look in my uh my my, my whole experience i uh I, I drove a Ford Mustang GT convertible, a, a muscle car. Of course you uh, did. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I grew up in London and came across the U.S. And as you can see, I was trying to be as kind of California boy and as California kind of you know broy as I could be a long time ago. And uh, yes, Dolcium <laughs> shirt. I was a, a lot larger than, my, than I am today, and I drove a. 5.0 GT Mustang that could uh, make a very loud sound. So it was okay. fun. All right. All right. Well, you know what? It fits the picture. So I can see 
if that's what you were you were looking like at that age, a Ford Mustang GT would fit right in there. So I like it. All right, you you're up a chin. What, what were you driving in your teenage yeah, years? I feel like I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I grew up in Bombay, and uh, I had a trial by fire. Uh, it, if anyone's ever you know driven in any uh, any of these parts in in Asia, basically, I had a Hyundai Santro, which was like. But like owned by like five people before I got it, and I used to. Do it. I I and that's what I learned, and then um, I used to drive it like a rickshaw. Like I'm like I'm uh, I was the designated driver to drive us everywhere, and I was always late, and I would drive it in crazy ways. I I'm so happy I don't drive like that anymore. I I go straight to jail if I drove like that in California. Okay. All right. All right. So well, but see, you learn new driving skills to handle traffic in in the california area so probably paid off long term okay so for mine i didn't have my own car as a teenager my mom actually let me drive hers which had its own unique dynamics but mine was a 1989 buick riviera that she had bought and this thing had like 200 and some thousand miles but it was pristine and she hated that i drove it because I treated it kind of like the rickshaw, right? Like to me, I'm like, yeah, cool. Like this is really neat. Um, and I liked it so much that my first car that I ended up buying, I bought much newer 1990 Buick Riviera uh, because, <laughs> you know, hey, I, I had to upgrade, didn't want the touchscreen anymore. So anyway, all right. So let's shift gears back from memory lane. Whoops, that's the wrong format. There we go. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about LinkedIn Learning Hub and what this new announcement is. But before we do, let's spend like two minutes. James, again, some people might have missed the first one. So just give like your 30 second overview of who you are at, at LinkedIn. Sure, so James Raybold, I'm on the product side of LinkedIn Learning, figuring out how we can build a very successful enterprise business where we make sure that learners can connect to the right content and right learning so they can be successful. And as they do that, companies, nonprofits, organizations, colleges, etc., are too. All right. Achint, you're up. Yeah, uh, I'm Achint. I'm on the product marketing team for LinkedIn Learning. I look at two areas of LinkedIn Learning. One is our learner experience. So making sure that the learners who actually have access to our platform get value and use the product. And the second is uh, I'm working with James to make sure that we build an amazing LXP platform uh, and that we can launch, uh, you know, later this year. All right. Okay. So you you just teed this one up perfectly because you said we're going to be launching an LXP platform later this year. And so my first question on this is when you say learning experience platform, Right now in the ed tech space, that means a lot of different things, depending on who you're talking to and what you're talking about. And honestly, I was familiar with LinkedIn Learning Pro before the announcement, and there were some LX, LXP-ish features. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's an adjective. It is now. So really, when you say you're moving into the LXP space, tell me if somebody bumped into you on the street and said, hey, I heard of this announcement, how do you describe that? Or how do you explain to people what it means for us to be jumping into that space? Um, yeah, James, do you want to go? Should I go? What are you, my friend? Uh, sounds good. So uh, the way we've been saying this is um, companies have a lot of different learning experiences that they invest in for their learners. Uh, currently, all of those experiences are in different places. Uh, so they buy, for example, LinkedIn Learning uh, for our content and our platform. They also have an LMS that hosts a lot of their compliance content and some other content. They also have, uh, you know, training and offline train uh, offline learning experiences. Uh, how do you create a platform that aggregates all of these experiences into a single destination? So that it's easy for employees of any organization to a, discover the right piece of learning experience at the right time and to truly create impact on their career, whether it means doing their existing job better, whether it's getting promoted, whether it's even potentially you know, moving to a role that is better suited for their skill set. All of these need a single destination to guide learn to the, to the next learning experience. And that's what we're trying to build with the NXP. Um, I will also say this, uh, that the LXP term, like you pointed out, Chris, is like fairly, uh, you know, th th there's a lot of different definitions in the market. 
which is why what yeah, we're saying is, yeah, I mean, we, we did some research on this and we realized that a lot of people just like talk about it, but everybody defines it in their own way. Um, what we're saying is this is a skill building platform. It's a skill building platform that will get your employees to that career outcome that they're looking for. Okay. Well, and one of the things before we went live, and James, again, if you have anything to add, just jump in. You, you, know, you know you're allowed to do that. You've been here before. You're a veteran in this space. Um, but this is a little bit of a shift because this was one of the biggest questions I had that, that I know just in conversations I've had with other learning leaders and HR leaders globally about this was before, if you had LinkedIn Learning Pro, normally this in many regards, not always, but a lot of times this fed into something else. You, you had LinkedIn Learning as maybe your content library, and you were using that to feed into maybe an existing LXP. You might have been downloading the AICC packages and, and plopping them into an LMS or something like that. This is then actually saying, no, we're, we're kind of officially making the direction into, we want LinkedIn Learning to be the hub Ah, see what I did there? See, I should be in product marketing. Should be the hub <laughs> that people are going to. So this is really a reversal of LinkedIn learning kind of in the way that it plays, correct? Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I would think of it as, you know, so for those of you who've been in the learning space for a while, you'll be aware that LinkedIn acquired Linda about six years ago, Linda.com, the leading uh, creator of broad-based professional skills content. And so initially, to your point, often what would happen would be, someone would, would buy Linda and then they would push Linda into their other system. Over time, over the last six years, we, we rebuilt Linda to become LinkedIn Learning. We would like people to use our product. We think our learning experience is better and we think that based upon all the powerful data LinkedIn has, based on the consumer UI, based on all the skills insights we have, that we can create a better insight, a better you know, interface. And so to your point, a few years ago, we started enabling companies to add their own content. They could add links, they could upload files. So we started seeing more companies using LinkedIn as their central hub, as their central destination. But to your point, larger companies often need more than that. They want to be able to bring in other providers. They want to bring in content LMSs. And so we thought, okay, great. We have a great content source. You now have this ability for you to add your own content. Now you want to be having all the content you have come in, and that's where the aggregation comes in. So that's where pulling in you know, content from a, could be a, a plural site or Harvard Managed Mentor, could be your LMS. We think that our experience is going to be better as a primary destination for learners than others are able to do. And so okay. it's, it's, it's an evolution, but I think that, that that's the macro theme. It's like we, we believe that LinkedIn should be the place that learners go to discover learning that makes them better. Okay. Well, and I think that that, that journey that you described is an important one because I've been following what you've been doing for a while and have seen that progress a bit where like you said, originally it was just content and then pro added the ability to bring in some of your stuff. But again, from a practitioner standpoint, I think a lot of companies didn't necessarily take full advantage of that because of the fact they maybe were using this content or had it sourced somewhere else and you really weren't integrating in with it. So you still were, you were still doing it. So it made more sense to say, you know what, we're still gonna, we're still gonna pull content, but we're not necessarily gonna use that as the destination, which even from my perspective, there was a lot of functionality you missed out on by doing that. And Achin, you know, you you hinted at that when we were going before. So I want to kind of go there next because that was, I think, one of the challenges that you faced was you said, well, okay, I have this difficult decision as a learning leader, as an HR leader to say, we, we're using this content, we value the content, we're managing this other stuff over here. I get we can kind of maybe add it, but now we're running into this duplication issue of, well, now we're putting it here and here, and now we're just creating all this complexity. So this next generation is to say, rather than asking you to move everything over and, and host it here, we're, we're just going to kind of bring this together. Is that fair? Yeah, um, I'd say it's it's a little, in fact, it's, it's, all, it's the next generation of this. It's one thing for us to say, hey, bring all of your content sources and now put it into our platform and use our platform. But then the, it's easy for us to say, just aggregate your content. What becomes difficult to do, which is what we're super proud of doing, is when we bring in other sources of content, we're using our AI, we're using our you know, immense taxonomy and like LinkedIn's own intelligence to personalize the way that content then gets delivered to the learner. Because 
it's one thing to create an aggregation, uh, but then you're suddenly dropping a learner into the sea of content. You know, they what they need is someone to actually kind of like guide them through the journey. And as and as a practitioner, the best thing that you can do is empower the learner to basically create their own journey. And so you need a platform that enables that experience. And with the with with, with what we're building, we're, what we're hoping to do is it's beyond just aggregation. It's, it's creating that personalized content engine that actually directs the learner to the right piece of content across all your sources of content, not just LinkedIn and any content that you uploaded. Well, and James, this this goes back to our original discussion where we talked about that was one of the challenges that sometimes users face with LinkedIn Learning is the fact that it can it can feel overwhelming. Like, holy smokes, there's just so much stuff. And I think that's not something that can be undervalued is in terms of, regardless of LXP, that is really one of those factors of how well are you actually personalizing that? Because if you just dump your point of chin if you just dump somebody in a system with now not only linkedin learning content but 500 other sources of content and just throw it all at someone i mean it's a complete content overload so i i that makes sense from that standpoint i want to shift so a little bit though oh, go for it, james i was just saying i think you know some of this was coming from customers so yeah, i think we heard from customers a lot like your experience is great your AI is great. Your relevance is great. If only we could give you more content, and if only we could bring in all our content to LinkedIn Learning. And so we're like, okay, and you know, let's 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 enable that. And I think it's been a you know a journey along the way to Jin's point. Like that's the goal is we want customers, we want learners coming to us saying like, LinkedIn gets me. LinkedIn understands what skills I have. LinkedIn understands what skills I want to get. LinkedIn understands you know where I want to go in my career, and then surfaces up the right content. Whether it's a LinkedIn Learning video, great. A plural site video, great. A piece from your LMS, great. Like we, you know, we we don't care as LinkedIn. We just want to make sure that the learner is getting what they need to be successful. And that's where I think the blend of the tagging that we do and the taxonomy we have, where we can bring in not only for our content, for other content we're bringing in, we're now mapping to our taxonomy. So we say, you know, this piece of content that we're bringing in from LMS maps to this skill. Because ultimately, the you know, the most important currency of all is his skills. And so we think that LinkedIn with our you know, 750 million members, 24 million plus jobs, et cetera, we have access and insights around skills that's never existed before. And so we see that as kind of the underpinning of this whole thing. And how do you then bring, to your point, a personalized and easy to find relevant experience of that? Okay, well, and the skills one, we're gonna spend plenty of time on that one. I, Amanda, I know you're watching, so I promise. We we talked about this after you after you jumped off backstage. We're not gonna go anywhere we're not supposed to, but we are gonna talk a little bit about why this skills piece does matter. But on that, you know, your point about the pulling this together and kind of hearing the customers piece, because this was one of the things, moving content to a no, new platform, I think sometimes people don't realize the amount of effort that goes into that. Because I know in early days of LinkedIn Learning, when that functionality of, hey, you can upload or import your own stuff came out, it, there were times it was like, hey, we could move our stuff here. And then you get into it and you go, yeah, or or we're not going to do that because no way. There's just way too much that's going to go into just simply moving this stuff. So I think this if I'm if I'm hearing you right, really now the goal is to say, look, let's really use our power to focus on integrations. And rather than saying, that's great, you have all this stuff over here, why not bring it all over to our house for a party? It's like, stay at your house and we'll just kind of hook you up via via the internet and then that way people can still access it. Okay, so, oh, go for it. Uh, no, I'm, I was just saying, you know, one part is doing the integrations and then layering on the next level, which is doing the personalization and making sure that we connect learners to the right piece of content at the right time. But then, you know, we look at with LinkedIn Learning Hub. Then we also start bringing in other parts of our platform that customers have loved all these years. So, for example, our community-based learning experiences, we've had that for our platform and for our content for all these years where you can actually engage in Q&A with instructors. You can join learning groups. You can connect with other learners and basically learn from people. Um, all of that is also something that needs to then work across other sources of content. Um, when we build our skill-based insights reporting or skill development reports, that, again, needs to account for it. So it's one thing to bring in content, 
but it's another to really play it out then across personalized content, community-based learning experiences, and skill development insights. Well, and this was to the point we talked about earlier, this was a lot of that feature set that you missed out on if you were simply just pulling content into an existing platform or somewhere else in your ecosystem was that that social connection, all these other data points really got lost. I mean, they really got lost in the mix because, well, that just couldn't feed in. You really were just connecting up to the content source. So I want to go into this a little bit further on there because Walter had a good question. I think we'll be able to clarify it because I'm actually curious if this is shifting or if this is actually similar to how it's been with LinkedIn Pro. Because everybody, not everybody, every once in a while you run into employees that get a little bit leery about going like, this is great, but like, I don't know that I want my company having my personal LinkedIn stuff and, and what can they see and all of that. The way it's been handled before was you really as an employee got to opt in on hey, do I want to connect these two or do I want to keep this separate? Is that something that's still going to remain where employees are empowered to kind of say, yeah, I'll do the LinkedIn learning thing for work, but I'm not necessarily fully integrating the two, but you can? Yeah, so just but the way the way overall the LinkedIn learning hub will work is, you know, a, a company or organization will buy the product, they'll buy it for their employees. Then both companies will choose to make it optional, whether the end employee next LinkedIn, their profile or not. Most do. So the majority of people do because they see the value of bringing that personalized relevance, you know, their whole history, their career, their network, et cetera, to bear. Some don't. Some are like, you know what? I don't do social. I don't trust social. Completely fine. If they don't bring up the LinkedIn profile, it just makes it trickier to do the personalized recommendations. We can still do that. We still know, for example, what a learner wants to work on. They can say, I want to work on these skills. We can still see based on their behavior, what they're working on. So if you, if you, if I, if I say I want to work on my uh, leadership skills, that all I'm de- doing is taking photography courses, I will get more photography courses because we're, we're learning based on what you're doing. So again, there's still relevance. There's still personalization. If we don't look at a profile, it's just richer because again, I, I work in product. I'd love to see what other people in product are working on. And so I get that. If you don't have the the, the, the LinkedIn side of things, they put LinkedIn and LinkedIn Learning. It's just trickier, but it's no requirement. So. Okay. Well, and and I think one of the things on this that just from my personal experience and going down this, some of it is the messaging and helping or employees understand what this is, because a lot of times they just really don't understand how the data is being used and like what's going on. It's It's not like suddenly the company has access to your social posts and everything that you're doing. It's more the fact that to your point, James, if I'm understanding correctly, it's to better understand you as an individual, the skills you're growing in, the people you're connected to. So there's an advantage to connecting the two so that it can better personalize what you're trying to do, but not a requirement. It's just going to, I guess, in some ways, limit the feature set and the value you as an employer are going to get out of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but to, I didn't use the phrase, you know, community-based learning before. You know, to me, you know, my community could be my peers at my company. That's a really good community, but it could be, you know, everyone on LinkedIn. And so... If I use LinkedIn profile, anyone who takes a course over here on LinkedIn Learning, I find out about it. I'm like, oh, great. Interesting that my great friend from university or my former peer from LinkedIn just took this course. That's now intelligence for me that I may want to take. That's gone if I haven't connected my profile together. But if you don't want to, that's fine. Okay. Okay. So then I want to dig into, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going with this one. But before I do, a relatively, hopefully, I think a simple one that was even a clarification for me was, some of the questions I get and even I had were, okay, so who's who's getting access to this? How does this work? Is this LinkedIn? And I actually, my perception was I thought it was LinkedIn Premium, but it's not LinkedIn Premium. It's LinkedIn Pro. So this is a feature set that's rolling to enterprise users who have LinkedIn Pro today, correct? Correct. Um, so we're a few months away. It's just about uh, announcing our date, uh, exact date of launch, but... Um, we will be rolling out uh, LinkedIn Learning Hub to all customers that are on LinkedIn Learning Pro today, and they will get it free of charge. So there's no incremental fee for them to use um, any of these features. Uh, and these features will be uh, enabled in their account for the rest of their contract period. So, um, and if they choose to renew uh, their contract during the year after we launch, then actually that feature set that promo basically gets extended to the rest of that contract as well. So it's a pretty aggressive, uh, you know, move because we want, we're, we're pretty confident of the journey that we're on. 
we're pretty confident about the value that we're bringing to them, uh, which is why we're taking it to customers and launching it. Okay. Well, no, and, and, and that's, again, it's a helpful clarification to understand, all right, so this is a feature set. If somebody's using LinkedIn Learning today on the enterprise level, not you went out and subscribed to LinkedIn Premium, but you're using it at the enterprise level, this is a feature set. So I guess my thinking, you know, as, as one of the questions Lisa asked was like, how is this going to be rolled out type of a thing? This is something that learning and HR leaders sh and I'm guessing there's some efforts right now going in motion with LinkedIn for your existing pro customers to say, hey, this is coming. These are the feature sets because there's a lot of things that, again, depending on how companies may be using LinkedIn Learning Pro today, they may have to rethink that or evaluate, okay, we might have to change our strategy or we may want to pivot some of the things we're doing because these features are coming our way and there's some there's some operational implications, there's some financial implications, there's some, I mean, just process implications that people probably need to be preparing for. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm, that's my assessment, but you tell me if I'm off. Yeah, I mean, I'd say uh, there's two types of applications to look for. One is, is there anything that I need to think about in terms of financial implications? The answer is no, because we're basically, we're not, we're not charging anything extra. We're not changing anything in the contracts. We're not, we're, we're not going through anything that might create friction or pain for existing okay. customers. Um, the, the thing that they should prepare for is, hey, here's a set of features that you will get access to when we launch. And you can start using it pretty much on day one if you want to. Uh, and if you do want to use it on day one, then these are the things that you can, you know, you can start preparing for. And a lot of that is extremely simple things. And we are in the process of rolling out a lot of communication to customers about, like, uh, about LinkedIn Learning Hub. We actually have a webinar that we uh, that we've scheduled for like mid June for exactly that. <laughs> Keep going. He's on me. James. On me, James. <laughs> you can join. You can join uh, the conversation. He should get. He should dye his hair blonde at some point. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, there we go. Um, he can look just like Dad. Yeah, but I mean, so the quick answer is, uh, you know, the, it's the there is a lot of communication that's going out. Okay. And uh, every single LinkedIn learning sales rep or customer success rep has already been equipped with all the answers that customers will could have at all. And so it's less about like, do you have to prep for any kind of friction or change? No, it's more about here's an opportunity that's coming and you're literally just like a few months away from that. So we're telling you now so that you can basically get ready to okay. make the most of it. Okay. And I think that's and that's the message that I, I'm kind of interpreting is, hey, there's a bunch of stuff coming. So now's a good time to because we all get those emails where you're like, yeah, yeah, new features delete and they go in the trash. And, you know, you, yeah, I heard something's coming type of a thing to say, all right, now might be the time to be paying attention to there's some new capabilities. What are these capabilities? Where might there be duplication? Where might there be opportunity? Where might there be things you're not doing? as part of your strategy right now that you might be able to do because you haven't been able to. So without getting to, um, without getting into all the specifics of it at a high level, some of that feature set, some of the stuff that's going to be flipped on, what, what can people expect with that? Yeah. So, um, at the outset, I can, I can share that, you know, we will have detailed demos that we will be releasing as part of our webinars and, reps will have detailed screenshots of these features and all of those things. So that's all coming. But what I can already share is we have three whole sets of features that we're releasing, uh, or three groups of features, I would say. It's more than a feature launch. It's basically an evolution of where our platform is today. Okay. Uh, one is in personalized content, so which is you can now aggregate other sources of content and pretty much every other source of content that you have. LMS, we have, uh, you know, partners, content partners like Howard Management or and Get Abstract and others that you can just bring in um, and any other co content source that you may have. So bring them in and we have the ability to then blend all of that content into the learner experience and personalize the way the recommendations work. So there's a lot of work that's gone into a bunch of features around personalizing the content um, that comes into the platform from various sources. The second is we're building on top of the existing community-based learning features, and there are a few more features coming there. 
to enable learners to learn together with their peers with and their peers could be within the company or even outside and how they can we can do that at a scale where it goes across all sources of content and then finally on skill development insights um that one's really exciting because that's where we start getting into not just like reporting on what skills your learners are developing once again across all content sources but also the ability for you to potentially like track a few specific skills that are important to you see what the top content is for those skills see who the top learners are for those skills um so the moment the the linkedin learning hub platform becomes a single destination for all your content sources our existing three pillars of personal content community based learning and skill development insights become basically supercharged in what they can deliver okay okay got it so really the the and and we're going to dig into the skills one so anybody watching that's like hey i I've, i've seen a bunch of questions about skills and again how far we go uh we'll we'll see but again we'll, we're going to get to that so really one of the big ones just to kind of recap it one is now you're taking this next generation in the evolution which is now it's not just you can put your content here if you want to but you can actually without even moving it integrate this in and bring it in from other sources so integration is a big piece uh the second one is the community features which again what those specifically look like but really that social side of how are you connecting people and and connecting that learning in a social sense and then the third is really blowing out this the skills piece fair yeah and i mean and there's like a, a lot of meat packed in each of these um for example like we've heard from the longest time for the longest time that um you know lnd admins want to promote specific pieces of content to their learners and they want to customize that learner's experience on the homepage for example that's a feature that we have been working on now we can we will be able to roll that out with this launch so there are a lot of features across all of these that we're actually like packaging as part of this big launch uh which is which is which is coming soon okay okay got it got it and and one of the other questions and again we won't go too far into it but there's there's the viva i know there's a lot of questions about viva and linkedin learning and linkedin learning hub now is is adding that into the mix which you know i don't think we'll be able to answer all of the ones that are coming through but i think we can at least touch on this but i do want to spend some time on the skills piece not necessarily diving into the deep deep specifics of LinkedIn skills taxonomy and ontology or whatever term people are are throwing around right now as they talk about but actually talking about what that means because this term is being used a lot uh and I think it's a valuable it's a it's a critical piece I look at skills as really the great equalizer in the workforce but it's not being used the same way across the board so when we say skills is playing a big role in this and kind of that structure the infrastructure behind that how do you how do you go there you know or talk to people about that or how are you defining that when you say hey we're we're making a bigger play around skills you want me to start yeah james you had a great quote on this so do you want to, i had let you go I, i'm not sure i'm going to know the quote but uh, i i will do my best <laughs> i don't know my own quote I, but I it's, it's a good one i uh, no i think i mean i think skills taxonomies right now are kind of like cryptocurrency and bitcoin where like everyone sort of like vaguely gets it and to your point in the beginning cuz like you you go one level deep and it doesn't work so you know i think we just make this really simple where you know i we're all learners all three of us are learners right now and we're trying to progress in our careers and you know, ideally we want to get promoted or maybe get a new role and we're hoping the the the, the way the world works right works right now often is to get hired it's like oh well cool James went to prestigious business school or James worked at company X and like that's why we're going to we're going to presume that he or she I guess he in this case it's James has this you know has these skills we want to must be amazing that. because he worked at LinkedIn and he went to Stanford <laughs> in theory that's the way it works again people play this game I'm like oh cool if I can work for this company or go to this uh university people presume I have abilities hopefully it's a reasonable presumption but but what happens is many people who don't go to these universities or don't work at Google are amazing but they're not discoverable so we want to make change the world to where okay. skills become the currency and so you know, I'm looking to recruit for a role I want to figure out great the most important skills for this role are a b and c cool well who has those skills and that's where you need to get at like you know so what what is the skill then like what abilities do you have so you need to figure out what is that skill and so LinkedIn has taxonomy of 38,000 or so skills we've actually mapped out 
across okay. all our, you know, 750 million profiles, what the skills are, where it gets really tricky. And this is what we're working on. This is what, you know, LinkedIn as a company is like so inspired to try and figure out. It's like, not only is it the skill, but like it's the proficiency level. Because it's one thing to say, you know, I have Excel skills or I don't have Excel skills. Like that's kind of, but what you want is, oh, I want advanced Excel skills for my financial analysts and I want beginner Excel skills for my, you know, product people I'm making up, you get the idea. And so it moves from like, what is the skill to what is the level of the skill? And that's where we're working on things like you know, through assessments, through using our Glint platform around, you know, survey feedback from peers and managers. Complete yeah. your point about Microsoft Viva. There is so much data flowing through Microsoft around soft skills in terms of like, am I interrupting in meetings? Are people paying attention to me in meetings? Are, you know, are you networking? How do you even communicate? I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, the, the amount of data is massive. So it really gets down to, you know, what you need, I, I, I'm an individual. I want to get better at a skill because that skill will help me progress in my current role to a future role. And so you need to figure out how, well, what's the currency of showing I'm progressing? And that's the hard part. And that's where, again, assessments, this kind of data exhaust from you know, Microsoft products, LinkedIn products, peer and manager feedback. Like once you do that, then it's kind of simple because it becomes great. If I can show you, or we can all show you know, the world's recruiters and the world's hiring managers that I have these skills, they should recruit based on that. And so, but instead of saying that, you know, I'm getting recruited because again, I, I worked at LinkedIn or I, I work at LinkedIn, don't, don't recruit me. Actually do recruit me, I can get more money. I'll stay at LinkedIn to get more money. <laughs> so, uh, um, but it's based on like, it's less these proxies like, oh cool, you know, the person went to school X, a person worked at company Y and it becomes great. I want someone who's, who's excellent at Hadoop, excellent at listening, excellent at blah. And then the whole thing works because then we can connect those jobs with people who have those skills and just let the the, the marketplace take place. And that, that that's our vision and that's what I think, you know, you may not know this, but our CEO, Ryan, didn't graduate college. Didn't seem like it slowed him down too much. Like he has serious, serious He's doing skills, all right. <laughs> but it wasn't because him showing the world that he had this degree or went to work, you know, a consulting firm, he just started working in his own startup and he worked at a bunch of companies and now he's, you know, he's doing pretty well. So like we want that to play out over and over and over again, where regardless of where you are in the world, regardless of what your quote traditional background is, you can get ahead and you can get kicked opportunity based on the skills you have, what you know, not kind of these proxies of what people think you know. Okay. Well, and, and I think on the skills piece, the part that when I heard where this was going, even, even before I knew Hub was coming, when you started moving into employee experience and, and playing more in the skills space, you know, I think one of the things that continues to plague our industry or be a challenge for our industry is the fact that it is not as easy to assess people's skills as we'd like to think. You know, I think oftentimes that's one of the biggest challenges we face is you run into this, okay, how do we actually know that a chint knows how to do this? Maybe he took a course and, and that's one light and one frame we can look through, but that doesn't necessarily tell me a whole lot. And maybe he's done a project and we've seen that, but but that's still just yet another lens because, well, what we saw on the surface wasn't really the whole picture. What did other people think? Did he, you know, was he perceived as having that skill set? I mean, there is a ton behind actually digging into the core of what actually makes up somebody's skill DNA. And I think that's one of the things that when when you started moving into this space, as I started watching this, I went, LinkedIn and Microsoft, from a data standpoint, have a pretty mind-blowing amount of data on people, the way they work, the way they communicate, what interests them, the way they interact with others, the way, you know, what are their preferences, even again, and then you have LinkedIn on the consumer side. Now you're actually seeing, well, this is how they represent themselves at work, but how do they represent themselves in their social interactions outside of work? And, and what are they doing? And what really, you know, kind of insights can we glean from that, which could send people down, you know, the... AI rabbit hole and freak people out that, oh my gosh, you know, big tech. But on the other side, you could say, well, but at the same time, this actually helps people. I, I think even self-awareness, you don't necessarily even know fully what your skill set is and you're not necessarily looking at that objectively. So I think the ability to now dig beneath the surface into that is, is a powerful capability behind that. Now, my one question that kind of ties to this, and this is more I'll keep it at a surface level is when it comes to the skills piece, 
one of the challenges I've seen from a currency standpoint, I've, I've heard that term used a lot. We want skills to be the currency. The problem is we have US dollars and euros and yen and right, we have all these different currencies that don't always translate. And so one of the challenges that you sometimes see as an organizations is they're building their own currency that no longer translate anywhere else. And so that becomes a problem because now it's like, well, my company may understand my skills, probably not, but like at least vaguely understands my skills, but they're the only ones that understand what that is. And if I take that somewhere else, they just look at it and go, that doesn't mean anything to us because that's, that's not how we define it and your, your terminology doesn't. How do you see, and again, without getting into the details, how do you see helping bridge that? Because I see that continuing to be a challenge for organizations to figure out how do we actually define a currency that becomes, somebody mentioned Bitcoin, right? Like how does it become the Bitcoin of workers so that it's, it's now translatable and, and you can spend it somewhere else? Well, I think it depends. I think we're going to find that it's not going to be one approach for all skills. So, you know, I take it a skill like project management. There's the Project Management Institute, PMI. Like for that, if someone has that or, you know, things like financial, you know, CPA, CFA, it's like a, it's, LinkedIn is not in any way trying to say every skill in the world. The only way you should be able to measure how good someone is at that skill is based on LinkedIn. That, that makes no sense. There are some very established certifications out there that say, you know, for this skill, this is what makes sense. What we're going to try and figure out for, for those that doesn't exist, where there isn't an existing paradigm, existing you know, certifications, boards, etc. How do we solve that? And so for soft skills in particular, it's just much trickier right now to figure out is. what is out there. And that's where we think the LinkedIn data, to your point, the Microsoft data as well, like there's just so much data flowing. And it's also it's being ever refreshed. You know, the nice thing about both LinkedIn and Microsoft, like, it's just, it's ongoing. Like, you know, this minute right now, there are like thousands of people updating their LinkedIn profiles as we're speaking right now saying, hey, they've just added this skill. They've just changed their job, et cetera. And it's like the fact that it's ever updating, same thing with Microsoft products where people are you know, using Teams and setting up meetings and connecting and sending emails internally right now as we speak. And so all that information is just continuing to be up to date. And that's where we can figure out, again, this is a hard problem on the soft skills side as well. We think we can uh, add a ton of value. Okay. Okay. Well, and that's a good clarification because there are some well-established skill measurement frameworks out there that say, Hey, it's, it's pretty straightforward. We've, we've cracked the code on this. Some of these other ones are like my definition of, are you a good communicator is wildly different than someone else's. And how do we actually define what is good? What is good today? And to your point, the refresh of that it's changing. By, I mean, you look at 2020, Everybody thought they were a pretty good communicator until suddenly they weren't around each other anymore and they realized, you know what? It turns out I'm actually not that good at communicating or I'm not very good at communicating in this new way of communicating. Like what what does that actually look like and what's expected of people? Okay, so that that helps, I think, break that down. So it's not necessarily saying, hey, LinkedIn's coming to redefine all of the taxonomies of things, but really to lean in and say, hey, we're it's, we're, we've got some gray matter, some murky areas. Let's, let's put some context around that to make it easier for people to be able to define it. Yeah, well, especially also, I mean, the nice thing about LinkedIn is we obviously, we've talked a lot about learning, but we obviously have a pretty large presence in the job seeking and the kind of the career seeking. So we, we can look really? at, <laughs> we, we can look at for, you know, the what are people looking for on LinkedIn today? Either it could be job seeking people are looking for these kinds of jobs, or it could be what jobs are available. And so we can get the data around like what skills are most important to your point and then try and figure out, okay, great. For these skills, there are these existing paradigms out there. Fantastic. We're going to use those primarily. But for these high, you know, evolving brand new skills that probably isn't a you know a board that's been around for 50 years with kind of certifications, how do we figure out through again? Could be digital exhaust. It could be peer manager feedback. Could be assessments. Could be something we haven't figured out yet. What is the best way to say that? You know, Chris is a beginner in this new skill, and Ashint is an advanced, or vice versa. And that, that that's it's a really hard problem. But I think we think that LinkedIn has and Microsoft together have assets that enable us to give a really good shot at this. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to. Oh, go for it. No, go for it. Uh, uh, just just adding to that. So 
um, we've been sitting on these assets. I think um, for the longest time, and James James called this out, but I want to just make sure that we underline that we've been sitting on assets that components that bring the skills journey together for a long time. When we acquired Linda, because we also produce our own content, we've always had a taxonomy which has informed the content that we produce. Okay. Because we have like millions and millions of people on the LinkedIn.com platform, we know what skills people to the files are changing over time. For example, the amazing example that you use, which is suddenly communication and how that skill gets defined has changed. That we've actually seen that live on people's profiles, and that's going to keep changing. So it's constantly refreshed. And the job-seeking side, we've been sitting on these components with Hub. Now they're beginning to start coming together. And our goal is to eventually string them together to create that you know, holistic learner journey where a learner can say, I want to become a data scientist at, or say, director of data scientist. And we know exactly what skills will be needed. And we've had that standardized across, across the world, across jobs, across other data scientists who have the same profiles, other across peer companies. Uh, so there's a lot of intelligence that we, we actually have those components for already. Okay. Well, and I think it's a, it's a fair point of clarification because for some people, it may be like, wow, LinkedIn's jumping into this space. But even just my interactions with LinkedIn over the years, I mean, these are all things that have been marinating or maturing in different capabilities. And again, I think of LinkedIn talent solutions, you know, more broadly, there's a lot of these components that, you know, if you're trying to tackle this problem one directionally and say, okay, how do we get people the right content? You're solving for one piece of the puzzle. But when you start talking about, okay, now how do we integrate this into the way we recruit, we hire? How do we tie this into, you know, feedback and culture? And how are we kind of pulling all of this disparate data together to actually solve some of these problems, which are probably the biggest problems that, I would say any business and HR leader is dealing with right now is like, how on earth do we know what to do with our workforce in this constantly changing thing? And to your point of the speed of, of which this data is getting refreshed, it's, it's completely possible that what you have yesterday might be wildly outdated. And so that kind of approach to having to make sure it's current is a critical piece. Okay. You know, t today, like if you think about, you know, if I'm an individual, I basically figure out you know, what skills do I need to get, you know, what jobs, and then what jobs do I need to be successful in my career. And gonna, over time, to a chance point, you're going to see us stitching together with more around, you know, who has more information on like, what network I needed a company than like LinkedIn and Microsoft together. Who has more information on what jobs could be available than LinkedIn? Who has more information about like, what learning and skills come together than we have? It's like over time, think of this as, you know, what skills should I be building? to get what jobs, to build what career. So we're hopeful over time an individual at a company, again, but more by their employer, like the employers want people to stay. They don't want, oh, I come into a job and leave. And so if we can build something around career development for both the individual, but also for the companies to facilitate that career development, that's even more powerful than skill building. And so again, like skill building is definitely the focus right now, which is a very hard problem. But over time, skills lead to jobs, jobs lead to careers, and that's what we're trying to work on. Well, and, and to that point, I think this is, you know, as I've been watching the space for, I don't know how long, you know, quite a while, I think that's one of the things that is not always considered as people are looking at the tech is it's really the data behind the tech. I mean, is it important to focus on user experience? Absolutely. Should you focus on features and capabilities? Yes. But if the ultimate goal is to solve these problems, the data is is king in all of this because ultimately that's driving the functionality, the process, the way things work. And so in some regards, that's where when some of these announcements started coming out, I went, they've been asleep. You've been a sleeper for a while in some regards and, and kind of under the surface. And so when you went big with it, I'm like, well, this is this is a market mover because to your point, your data set is massive i mean it's massive and it's diverse it's not just big but it's it's coming from a lot of different angles okay so one thing i do want to i want to hit on that somebody brought up uh, april talked about this and and i, I i'll just take my answer to this because i'm sure there's learning people listening to this who may be going okay this i mean this is cool there's like all this tech and and all this stuff is coming does this mean that learning and development or an l d function is actually kind of diminishing 
in its value. And I'll take my pass, but I'm curious your thoughts on this because this is a t question I tackle with my own teams. It's, a, it's something I tackle with other. To me, I look at it and go, no, if anything, our value, if we shift, if we shift, just blew through the roof. Like the value we can bring to an organization blew through the roof. Now, if all you're still trying to do is operate in a legacy way of being a learning and development function, which is, you know, we we create, we try and push the right content to the right people. We're trying to do, if you're still operating in that mode, yeah, this, this is coming for you like, you know, a meteor. But if you start to make that shift and say, okay, our role is changing as a learning and talent professional, knowing that some of these things we used to spend a lot of our time on are being automated and it's doing it better than we can do, how does our role shift? But I'm curious your take on that. Um, I, yeah, so pretty aligned with what you're saying, Chris. I actually think um, L&D will play an even bigger role. So no, no, um, that's it. I mean, I'm, I'm going to try and clomp onto your analogy in a very bad way, so please excuse me. But more <laughs> than the media coming to you, what we're saying is L&D professionals, come join us on the media. Like, help. Yeah help drive this in a way that only you know how to drive for your company, because ultimately you know what your company needs. Uh, the role of the L&D manager has, has really gotten elevated, if anything, through the pandemic. Um, what we've realized, and I think Satya had this quote, um, uh, Satya CEO of Microsoft has this quote of like, companies that really know how to learn it all and respond to challenges pretty quickly are the ones that will actually succeed. So it's not it's not a matter of what skill sets you already have. And L&D plays the critical role there. So at a very, very tactical level, um, with Hub, we're enabling L&D to actually assign curators. We're enabling L&D to actually create learning champions within their, within their organization to actually make an impact in the, uh, in the experience. Um, and to promote specific pieces of content on like prime real estate, whether it's the learner homepage or other places. Um, we're actually giving a lot more power than we were because we realized that ultimately it's a blend. It's a blend of what our platform thinks is the right approach towards learners discovering the right piece of content, as well as taking the intelligence that L&D professionals have of on the ground information on the skills needed in their company. Okay. Well, and I think to, to go with the analogy, right, let's get rid of the meteor one. Cause the way I look <laughs> yeah. at it is right. There's a rocket ship about to take off and you have the opportunity to pilot that rocket ship and actually like steer this thing. I mean, have massive impact on the business or you can stand underneath the fuselage and be like, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And then as the rocket takes off, you're going to get incinerated in, in the aftermath. And that's a pretty extreme example. <laughs> so maybe I took it too far, but I think that's where how you approach this is very much in your hands right now. Like I look at the future of where things are going and learning and development. And, you know, we, we've said for as long as I can remember, we want to seat at the table. We want, you know, to drive business decisions. We want to be part of the conversation. Well, that chance is there and not just because your gut tells you you're in the right space, but now we've got data-driven backing behind this to say, this is where we need to steer and this is what we need to do and here's how we know that. But you have to be willing to take that. Well, I think, Chris, we also, you know, we published our you know, workplace learning report and exactly as you mentioned before, I think if you look at again, 2019, how many L&D professionals believe they have quite a seat at the table? I think it's like 24% or so. Fast forward to 2020, you know, right as the pandemic was starting, it's like 61%, give or, give or take, don't tell me exactly. And then this year again, it, stuck, it stayed there. And so I think to your point, you know, L&D's never had a better seat or a bigger seat at the table right now that every CEO in the world is trying to figure out how they cope with, you know, going back to work and figuring out this, you know, hybrid workplace, et cetera. L&D has an incredible role to play. And to, to your point, you actually the consideration, you know, if you get it wrong, that could go very poorly because now <laughs> you really have a, you know, you're, you're, you're in the spotlight. If you get it right, holy crap, that's a career you know, trajectory for you. And so I think yeah. we hope Hub can be helpful, but I think okay, there's, you know, there's much broader than Hub is L&D's opportunity right yes. now. Well, and that's going to get me to the next kind of final piece I'll tie off on. But I think with that piece, you know, it is, people often say, I want, I want a seat at the table, but that seat gets hot. And so if you're going to go there, 
you got to be ready for it. You got to be ready to do it. And I think that's, you know, hits on your point of, yeah, you can go there and greater reward, greater risk. So, so be prepared to do it well. So then my final question, cause man, I could, I should have scheduled this for like three and a half hours, but it's fine. Um, is so the Viva thing without going too deep into it, because we've talked about the fact that this isn't just LinkedIn learning hub, and this is a, it's an iterative stage and it continues to grow and evolve. I, even I personally was thrown for a loop a little bit. So when Viva came out, I went, oh, okay, they're, they're right. They're going this play. And then on the heels of that, then it was, okay, learning hub too. It, even I was going, hey, I'm trying to figure out exactly how those play together. Now, without getting into all the specifics, is there anything you can share kind of in terms of how does that work together, you know, at a high level? Yeah. So I would think of it as the, the kind of two ways of thinking about it. One is there's the LinkedIn learning content library. And so that will be the, you know, the first and the best integration into Viva Learning. So essentially if you buy, you know, actually if you don't even buy Viva Learning, you'll get, I think it's 125 free courses of LinkedIn Learning. But then if you do buy LinkedIn Learning, uh, you can bring in the whole thing. So essentially LinkedIn Learning is the best content source to be in Viva. The second topic is how do we think about the kind of the aggregation, the software, and that's what we, you know we're, we're working closely with Microsoft to make sure that if you do the aggregations and you, you decide to bring in your LMS, you try to bring in your, your plural site, your hard management mentor, and insert the rest of the providers, that that will flow through in both uh, you know a Teams Viva learning experience and also a LinkedIn Learning Hub. That's more of a we are working on it together because I think to your point. We're moving fast to do hub. They're moving fast to build it better. For those of you watching, Viva isn't just learning. Viva is a whole insights layer, topics, it's knowledge, it's community. It's a much broader play around employee experience. But there is intersection in learning. And so again, be for the first and best integrations on content, and then over time, the aggregations and the kind of all the the learning experience will start coming together too. Okay. So as, as a summary, let me, let me, you tell me if this is a, a fair analysis of that, because I'm looking at it and the way I'm viewing it is similar to LinkedIn learning before where it had some of these capabilities, but until you really encompassed the whole thing, you were missing out on some of it. So I'm kind of looking at Viva and LinkedIn learning hub saying, is it going to be a requirement that you have to be using them both? No, probably not. But are you going to get more value out of it because of, well, these things are going to work together much more seamlessly. And the way we're kind of constructing this whole thing would be similar to LinkedIn Learning, where if you just were taking the AICC package and dumping it in your LMS, still getting the value of the content, but you're missing a lot of this other stuff, similar to Learning Hub and Viva, where yeah, you can still use LinkedIn Learning Hub. If you're not using it in partnership with Viva, there's, it's going to work, but you're going to miss out on some of the capabilities. Yeah. I mean, I think Teams share, I think about a month ago, I think it's 144, 145 million DAUs. So, you know, a lot of people are using Teams right now. You know, we, we believe in the flow of work. So, therefore, we'd love to have a, a world where, you know, when you want to go deep, you can go into LinkedIn Learning Hub. But when you want to do different, a lot of the discovery, the initial, oh, interesting, that's what's going on. Being in Teams and being in Viva Learning specifically would be a great entry point to dig into learning. Okay. Okay. And then one final clarification that Walter asked just to, you, you hit on it. I just want to make sure I got this right. So from a licensing standpoint, and again, without getting into the details, Viva's got kind of its own license structure that there's some component of LinkedIn learning can be included, some of the courseware, but they're separate, they're separate products, correct? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so if you have Viva learning, actually, sorry, if, you, if you have Viva learning where you're not, if, if you, if you have teams or office in general, you will get, 125 free courses LinkedIn Learning based in Viva Learning, the, the non-premium okay. version. If you the premium yeah. version, you can now pull in the, the actually for real, you can pull in the full you know, 16,000 courses on LinkedIn. And then distinctly on LinkedIn, there's Hub, and that's where you can aggregate all the content, you know, personalized content, community-based learning, and then the skills insights as a Gen 9 subscriber earlier. Okay. Got it. Well, like I promised, I promised I wouldn't go too deep, and I don't think I did. So that was perfect. Um, maybe we'll have to get Vineet on with you james and then we'll get the teams hub like that that would be an interesting discussion in and of itself so with that i know you guys have a hard stop so do i so uh hopefully everybody watching is a great turnout hopefully this at least gave you 
some additional clarity into what this means, how does this play, what might this mean for the market, and how should you be thinking about it if this is something that you're looking at. I appreciate the transparency and just, hey, the collaboration around this. Um, it's been a great conversation. So I couldn't get to all the questions. I apologize in advance, everybody watching and listening, but I think we covered off on some of the big ones. So with that, I wish you all a great rest of your Friday Eve and uh, have a wonderful rest of your week. Thanks, James and Achint, for being here.